A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. David Newton, Vice President of Product Customer Success and Marketing at Handle Global, which is an end-to-end operating system for clinical infrastructure and IT capital equipment. I'll let you clarify exactly what that means in a little bit. David is also a mentor at The Girls Club, which is an organization that empowers women to earn roles in management by providing training, role models, a spotlight in the community, which is an awesome initiative to be a part of. And then he is also an ambassador and course leader for the Pavilion community. Super excited to have you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Super exciting to be here. Uh, Listened to a few of the episodes already, and there's some great thought leaders. So uh, privileged and uh, kind of uh, nervous to be considered uh, amongst some of these uh, other brilliant minds. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. I'm really excited to have you. We have a pretty interesting conversation here. We're basically going to be talking about go-to-market strategy, aligning go-to-market teams, and basically how to harness the, the marketing website with this aligned cross-functional understanding. So really excited to dive into that. But first, I want to start high level. Would love to learn about you and Handle Global. Can you tell me about Handle Global, what it is, who it's for, why they should care, and how you found yourself um, as the VP of everything there, basically? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Of course. Um, so Handle is a combination of many things, but uh, I'm primarily focused on two verticals. Um, uh, one is where Handle kind of find out foundationally started is a uh, uh, B2B marketplace. So we have a team that helps source, so procure um, new and refurbished equipment for hospital systems. In a lot of cases, the procurement process is one of the more time-consuming and difficult tasks for an organization as they build capital. There's a lot of problems with buyer journeys, similar to software, right? There's a lot of uh, other channels you can buy equipment from and so on. So Our team does a lot of work of sourcing challenger brands or making sure that hospitals are just buying the right thing at the right time for the right price. Where I focus most of my time is our SaaS vertical on a product called CCM or Capital Cycle Management. And the goal there, it's it's an end-to-end platform for managing, like you said, clinical infrastructure and IT capital equipment. Uh, Basically, what that just means is we help hospitals plan their capital more effectively. Uh, In a lot of cases, uh, in hospitals, just like any other uh, organization, there's a lot of political lobbying for dollars, right? We'll probably get into marketing versus sales, lobbying for dollars and, you know, resources. So the same thing happens in hospital systems, right? Different service line managers, different leaders lobbying for dollars to, of course, meet their, meet their needs. Um, so we built a platform that ingests all of the different point solutions that a hospital might be utilizing, ingests that data, normalizes it, and then turns that into actual data-driven conversations inside a facility. So it's no longer you know, lobbying for dollars. It's everything based off of true metrics and variables that a hospital dictates, right? So taking the bias mm-hmm. out of capital. Is that a saturated market? Is this a young category? I'm curious, like, what, what are you dealing with here? 
Yeah, so I'd, I'd consider us very much category creators. There mm. are a lot of great point solutions that we integrate with, right? So there are there are pieces of the pie that people take off, like cybersecurity risk management. We partner with a few companies um, that do work there, like Assimily is, is one of our great partners. There's equipment planning tools that manage the front end of equipment planning. So uh, there's five or six companies in that space. There's CMMS platforms. So there's all these companies that kind of manage different pieces of the pie, but the problem is those same stakeholders inside the hospital work in all these different platforms, right? So one person might might have, you know, five to 20 different logins. None of the data is the same, regardless of it being the same piece of actual equipment, right? It's named different, it's priced different, who knows what other different data points are there. So we're really the first platform that takes all that data, melds it into one place and builds your workflows kind of seamlessly across multiple solutions. Our goal in some cases to are, you know, certainly to, replace some point solutions, but in a lot of cases, just, just to sit, you know, side by side with a lot of the staple solutions and enhance your process. Category creation is a really fascinating topic. Um, depending on who you talk to, some would say like, ah, it's probably not the best in some cases. I'm curious, what, what are the conversations looking like? Are you finding that there's a major education standpoint here? Is the status quo sometimes just like too good to, to give up? Kind of curious what that's, what that looks like. <laughs> It's definitely a mixture depending on the organization. Um, I think we're at a very fortuitous time for our organization because if you think about the healthcare supply chain, obviously it's been a hot topic for the past 10, 20 years, right? How do we drive healthcare costs down? Um, mm -hmm. For the past few years, we started in focusing on like squeezing margins out of pharma, right? And thinking about how we can, you know, in, ensure best practices with supply chain issues tied, tied to those pieces of equipment. Uh, then it was uh, consumables and disposables, right? So squeeze using margins out of band-aids and making sure hospitals are managing those inventories more effectively. Now we're seeing the final frontier is really capital. Fortunately, a lot of leadership teams are now turning their head towards, all right, how do we optimize this? But it's not something that has really been talked about of, all right, what is our capital strategy, right? There are some forward-looking organizations in the space that have thought about this and implemented some solutions, but largely um, we're, we're kind of at the at the right place at the right time, I'd like to think about, is it becoming a, a hot button topic? So there is a lot of education, right? Like why our platform exists, how it, how it increases flow between different tools. But I think the industry is ready for it. I wouldn't say it's um, something like, uh, you know, gain sight in a lot of ways. I don't think people even considered, you know, having a CS tool in a lot of ways and Nick and team build something great that changed people's minds about CS as a whole inside organizations. Whereas handle, we're building a great solution that is aligning perfectly with where market perception is. Thanks for taking me through that. What motions are you leaning into right now? Is there a sales motion? Do you consider yourself a marketing led? Obviously there, there's a combination, but I'm curious, like, how do you see yourself? Because we integrate with so many different partners on, on the SaaS side, right? A lot of it is focused on feature selling, integration selling, right? So the concept of, of PLG and prioritizing features over everything there makes obvious sense. We partner with a lot of partners on channel sales through just a direct B2B SaaS, right? So partner with a lot of large OEMs trying to get mm -hmm. the solution inside hospitals so they can, you know, act as a better trusted partner, um, as well as our own marketing initiatives, right? I think, you know, the concept of dark socials, something we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but in, in hospitals, these people don't have a lot of time, right? The CFOs of a hospital system, VP of supply chain, all those folks, they don't have time to take demos, uh, largely, right? They're busy. They're, they're focusing on much bigger tasks than, you know, what vendor they're going to use for, for something. So in a lot of cases, we're seeing a lot of referrals come from 
other social sellers uh, of, of current customers. So we've built a strong advocacy base inside our current customers. And they're actually out there in some cases doing demos for us for health systems. Hmm. Um, awesome. I, I literally just had one of our, one of our newer customers, they've only been on board for four months. Um, they actually went and they presented at a conference without us. I wasn't there. No one from, from handle was there. They presented about how they're changing uh, supply chain inside their organization with our tool and with one of our advisory partners. I had no idea until after the meeting. He said, yeah, we, we have these leads coming in and it's great. And I said, thank you so much. <laughs> great, great job to them. Number one sales folks. Thanks for taking me through that. I want to pick your brain in general on the like B2B tech, go to market, given everything that we just talked about and, and the situation that you're in, I want to provide a backdrop. The state of B2B SaaS, B2B tech, smaller and shrinking markets, generally very competitive. Obviously, that's, that doesn't really have to do with you. Although I think something can be said as far as like status quo can be a huge competitor sometimes. Now we're also dealing with bigger buyer groups. I'm curious, we're dealing with hospitals here. I'm assuming that that's a pretty big buyer group. Longer sales cycles, fewer and smaller deal sizes, higher customer churn, lower LTV. This is all, all things that we're kind of dealing with. Generating predictable revenue is just really difficult right now. I'm curious, given the realities, what do you see as the biggest issues with the way B2B tech, SaaS, what have you, the way that we're going to market today? First of all, you're 100% spot on with bigger buying groups in hospitals. Um, our tool spans so many different verticals that we we get sign off from maybe four or five different department heads. Sometimes we can get a CFO that signs off right away and it's amazing or someone can fit it in their budget and that's great. But you know, a lot of times it, we're building that ecosystem amongst a hospital. And I think that's one thing that I see a lot of B2B SaaS organizations struggle with is figuring out what the actual buying process is at their target customer and focusing on that. So for me, when I'm doing a discovery call or after I do the first demo, I never say, all right, so let's talk pricing or anything. If I'm talking to, you know, just a supply chain team or just a finance team, I say, all right, you know, do we need to get finance involved? Where do they sit in your capital, you know, in your capital process, anything along those lines and kind of build that buyer journey. I started doing that through this tool called Aligned. They're a tool that I started modeling a lot of my sales process because they start with a free tier. It's an enterprise tool, but they start with a free tier, right? So I think that's something that a lot of people are afraid to do large product showcases on their website, right? People are afraid to show their secret sauce or all that good stuff, but that's what matters. I'm not as busy as a VP of spot in a hospital, but for me, I don't want to schedule a demo. I don't want to talk to a rep for 20 minutes. Uh, in most cases, if I see a tool in 15 minutes after I'm done diving into it, I know if I want it or not, right? So that's what we try to do similar to, you know, an aligned or some of these other tools that let you get in there, let you see your data. Sometimes you might talk to someone, um, shout out to the Align team. I messaged Gal and everyone else on LinkedIn. As soon as I, I signed up, I was like, hey, I have this question. They got back to me. I said, cool, I'll talk to you in a week. They didn't talk to me for a couple of days and they said, Hey, how's everything going? So that's how I try to sell is, um, I know my buyer journey is complex, but people want to see their data. They want to understand the product. They want to see the product. It doesn't need to be behind a brick wall. If, if you have a commodity product, of course I get making that uh, a little bit more siloed from your competitors. But if that's the case, like know that that's what your product is and sell accordingly, right? For us, again, the point solutions that could kind of compete in some different areas, but I show my buyers what the product is on the website. They can dive in for a demo. They don't have to submit a form to do that. They can submit a form at the end of the demo if they think our tool has earned their time. 
And if so, you know, move forward. Um, I think that's something that not enough companies do. I mean, I was researching customer knowledge bases because I wanted to get, I built mine on Webflow. Um, and I wanted to get off Webflow so more people could manage it. My CS team was researching those tools and only two of the eight tools we were looking at allowed her to sign up and dive in with our own data right away. Every other, every other tool, she had to sign up for a demo and then we're waiting two days, three days for a demo. I want to make a decision today. This is something I have budget for. It's a priority for me in my mind right now. Product transparency is, is not something apparent enough in the market. There are companies who won't even provide snapshots of, of their product. It's more of like this yes. abstract kind of like visualization. It, it's not resonance. Is this like an ABM strategy where there's a different experience for each stakeholder in the buyer group? Is it that involved? What does that look like? Yeah. So in a lot of the cases, and users can see this on our, our website too, if you look at it from a supply chain lens, the things that are called out in the tour are specific to supply chain, right? So they're the things that, you know, we understand our personas. We've got a long list of all of our buyer personas from CFO to clinicians, kind of what they care about inside the application. So the pages stay the same, right? There might be some different filters or some of the, some of the modules might be slightly tweaked towards the persona, but each of the in, interactive demos focus on what that persona cares about on that page. So we can send a link to a CFO. Hey, we care about the cost of these assets, right? Or we want to do long range planning for five years. If I'm a clinician, I want to make sure I can request for my clinical preferences, right? So I want to make sure that those are represented on the page, things along those lines. So it is, mm -hmm. it's time investment to build out your demos and it's time investment to understand your audience. But I think organizations that, that aren't doing that, they're probably the ones experiencing the high churn, right? No, no matter who comes on a customer call, their, their challenges are going to be unique to their organization, of course. But if a chief nursing officer hops on a call and a you know, VP of supply chain, I can build a conversation between the two and my whole, my CS team, product team, that's part of our integrated nature. Everyone can build a conversation between those folks because we know what the common grounds are, the shared pain points, where there's some kind of headbutting. Um, and that reigns true in all of our you know, product marketing information, all of our sales brochures, everything. We kind of pinpoint it towards the key things, certainly account-based marketing. If we know our stakeholder, our champions in supply chain, and they're going to send something to finance, I'm going to highlight things for them to send over, right? I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. I apologize. We're talking about customer churn. This experience allows somebody to get into the product early, even before a trial or a demo. It allows them to get contacts really early. Are you seeing lower customer churn on the back end? Yeah. So fortunately, handle pat on the back to the team, everyone here. So we have net negative churn. That's so awesome. We're, yeah. So we're not we're not seeing a high volume of that. Interactive demos are a part, but I think similar to kind of I run those teams, the rest of our organization is fundamentally aligned, right? So we don't have demos without either myself or representation from our CS and product team. We don't sell vaporware. I feel like a lot of companies that experience churn, their sales teams are pre-selling in the future, right? So they're selling things that, you know, the customer's saying like, hey, do you have this? The sales team doesn't fully grasp the features sometimes, or maybe they do and they're selling the wrong thing. We don't allow that at, at handle. And if we are, if we are getting to a state of future selling, we roll out product in two weeks sprints. That's Part of the benefit mm -hmm. of working in CS and managing that too, is I can prioritize the roadmap to exactly the struggles that sales is feeling. I'm sure you, you've heard this a million times, but sales is saying we're losing deals because you know we don't have this feature or this doesn't exist. Well, I, I know if that's true because I'm tracking the conversions and I'm tracking all the attributions to different you know lead sources and all that good stuff. Um, so I can say, hey, this feature actually is a killer. Let's get it on the roadmap. Or I can say, 
no, that's just one rep that heard it from this one deal and, and they're cranking <laughs> mm -hmm. this week, right? I think interactive uh, journeys, just being transparent in the sales process. At our, our whole university, I have a, um, a tool that our team promotes to all of our customers. Uh, we call it Handle University, but people before they're even customers can, can sign up for Handle University and see full flows of the whole application, right? You can say how you upload an asset, how you create a budget, all that stuff. So you can kind of get in there before you're actually subscribing. And we do kind of customized demo. So if someone sends us their asset data before before anything, we can get them started and you know they see their data in real time. So we focus a lot really early in the buying journey because if a hospital churns, it's hard to get a hospital back. It, it's very difficult. I could imagine. You're the VP of, of customer success, product and marketing. It's a lot of responsibilities in each one of those. How are you making sure that there is that consistent flow of information and data between business functions? I'd like to take uh, credit for it, but it's really not me. I have a lot of great team members that are really focused on driving value in healthcare. We're very mission-driven on the integrated customer support team, whether that's product CS or, or marketing, all of the information flows symbiotically because they all care about the end result. It truthfully starts at the top. You know, our, our CEO, Kyle Keaton, our COO, and Andrew, our CTO, when they uh, initially recruited me from the, from the last company, Kyle kind of just asked me, he said, hey, what do you want to do? And I said, I've done a little bit of this, 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 uh, these are all the teams. And he said, how would you like to meld all of those into one and build the perfect ecosystem here. And I, I jumped at that chance. I've always ran kind of siloed businesses inside companies, but we just have a lot of people that care. So once we put in the processes and the systems, I think that's the big thing, having the right tools for everyone to share information and track things effectively. Um, because people care so much about, you know, driving better outcomes for these hospital systems, people are willing to share information and change their workflows. And I, I've been at many companies where CS and product butt heads all day, right? And here, because CS is part of our, we have backlog grooming meetings where CS says, hey, these are priorities, or this is something that QA missed. And you know, then QA says, all right, well, CS, I don't think you're testing this the right way. This is, this is how the ticket was written, right? So we're kind of cross-training everyone and how the different departments work at a high level. Let's dive into that. An argument can be made that the website should span across the entire customer journey, right? Past acquisition, activation, retention, expansion, evangelism. As you were just making an argument in favor of, we can push evangelism to the top of that where it's like the website itself is driving evangelism before they even interact with the product. That in of itself can be so powerful. Do you agree that the marketing website should influence every stage of the customer journey? And how are you thinking about that moving forward? A hundred percent. We actually went through a large revamp and that's why our mutual uh, contact, shout out Shannon, um, uh, introduced us um, because we we did a large facelift. We were on WordPress, converted to Webflow. For us, because all the teams are so integrated, I heard so many different messages around customer needs. And what I heard in a lot of cases at my old companies is marketing would run with something because they heard verbiage once. And that verbiage might be old or you know anything along those lines so it doesn't resonate anymore when we do a customer meeting and we hear this new trend or trending problem across a couple of our, of our customers we can build a page a landing page rapidly tied to that use case and how we're fixing it in the product so for me being able to take that inherent customer journey or that customer problem and translate that into something that i know other people in the market are feeling immediately is super powerful and then they evangelize it again like i said 
all, almost all of our, actually all of our customers have been a referral for us at some point to another health system. And if they can say, Hey, this is the page of a specific problem that I know you're facing because I faced it, read this feature set or read this, you know, read this use case or this blog about it, whatever it might be. That's what conditions buying behaviors for my users anyway, right? It might be different for some products that are a little less specialized and they're more, more commodity based. But I think in general, having very use case specific content does nothing else but further your case for a buying goal. And that goes back to your concept about people hiding their feature sets and why that process is kind of garbage. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> How do you see yourself building out Handle Global's website? What do you hope to do? This is going more so like theoretical, but just kind of want to pick your brain around that. So we're big Pendo users. I, I love Pendo. They have an amazing demo center on their website, right? So for us, we have the interactive demo for different use cases, but mm -hmm. these guys have a plethora of videos and resources and feature specific content and all, all this, all this really great stuff. So I think as we build out the website more and we have a little more bandwidth on our team, um, building out some, some concepts around that. One of the other great things I'm using a, a, a great tool to build kind of like a mini chat GPT for handle. Um, but you can train a chat bot just based on documents, PDFs, uh, everything in Google drive. So we're working on training that for both our SaaS vertical, as well as our marketplace, we're actually transitioning the, the CCM, the in-app data over to the website. So if I'm a sub VP of supply chain, I said, Hey, how should I, how should I prioritize, you know, these, these two events, I want to standardize my beds versus my scales. We can say, well, beds have a higher patient impact. You should prioritize this. And the average hospital can save X million dollars consolidating from two vendors to one vendor in this category. So because we can take our application data and train that model on the front end of the website, we can pre-consult customers to what they should do, even without a subscription. It's getting pretty cool, um, oh. but uh, should should be rolled out hopefully by the end of the year. It's a, it's a tool called Easel. I have no problem with shouting out these tools because they're all amazing and offer free tiers. Shout out to every company that offers a free tier so I can try your platform before I buy it. Easel allows me to basically ingest as many documents as I want um, and build out kind of this ecosystem of questions. Of course, we're anonymizing all of our data, but the goal is to influence the buyer journey through insights, intelligence about what hospitals do in the space or should be doing in the space um, on the on the application before they even, you know, touch the tool. So why that versus uh, like a webinar or a blog series or a, some, some other kind of, of marketing initiative? Yeah. How do you make that decision between let's lean into this tool versus let's just create some content that could, that, you yeah. know, we could easily push out? They do kind of go one and the same. Like if you build a blog, we can ingest that data in our in our chatbot. The problem with a, a, a webinar, for example, um, I don't know if you've done this, but I have signed up for so many webinars and I've joined and I've multitasked the entire time and not mm -hmm. listened to a single word being said. Um, and that's poor attention span on, on my behalf. And obviously I, I lack some discipline, but <laughs> I would assume people who have busier lives than me, uh, especially my buyer that is focused on caring for people's lives. I assume they have less time to listen to me talk about the best way that they should replace beds in, in their hospital system. What they do have time for is at the very moment they need that question answered, they do have time to either you know, ask a CSM for on a call or ask a bot, right? Blogs are great. We're gonna roll out a bunch of blog content, webinar content for sure too, but all that will be ingested by this bot because I, I don't have time. So a VP of supply chain or a VP of finance at a hospital doesn't have time to sift through 50 blogs to see the difference between, you know, infu infusion pumps or scales from a prioritization standpoint. They just, they just don't. So it's more conditioned by 
making the buyer's life easy, even before their customer. There was a study that came out by, I think it was Metadata and Nevada that said large B2B tech companies are taking two to three days to, to get back to uh, a contact us form fill or something like that. The chatbot allows that ability to be there the second somebody wants to buy. And I think that's what we're missing. This seems like such an easy hole to fill. I think people think that uh, their comp- their product is more complicated or their sales cycle is more complicated than it, than it actually is. Like It might be complicated once you get into the nitty gritty of deal negotiation and so on. But if I'm sure. a prospect and I have a question, I know what I want to ask. There's certainly still a place for BDRs and SDRs doing like outbound or responding to inbound if it, if it comes. But again, to your point, a chatbot will respond instantaneously. And if I'm on your website, I, I'm not looking for a response tomorrow. I, I actually emailed, um, I'm not going to say the company name, but I, I emailed a company uh, yesterday because uh, their chatbot was just like a, a click the bubble chatbot. It wasn't a response one. I couldn't type anything. And I said, I'm interested in your product. I have time until the end of day. I got a call this morning from an SDR. So for me, were they apologetic at the very least? I didn't answer. Um, natively I have to Google every number, uh, when it comes to me before I can, I can tell if I'm going to answer or not, but, um, I didn't answer because, um, like I had already made made my decision. I was interested in the tool, right? I signed up for the demo. I had a very specific question. I had a bunch of internal conversations. Um, and because they couldn't convince me at the certain time, this is now moving down my list with three other applications I'm looking at implementing, right? Whereas if like they had my attention at that time, my card was ready if other people had not swayed me away from my priorities, right? So mm-hmm. um, a chatbot could have said, yep, here's that question, David. Uh, what's your card info? Thank you. I think that that that's a big part. And I might just be... Uh, an impulse buyer for sure. I grew up in the e-commerce age, so uh, I can press a button and get something in on my door in you know 24 hours. Uh, but I think that's the way a lot of buyers are, right? They want, if they're interested in it right now, give them the ability to either procure it or get all the information they need right now. I don't think it's going to get any easier. This is this is something that companies need to start leaning into. This was another topic of conversation in previous episode with the director of Demand Gen over at Full Story. Pipeline generating chatbots. It is easier said than done. You can't just like say, I'm going to build a chatbot and we're going to start building pipeline uh, right away. There is an alignment that needs to be made, especially between marketing and sales. And I think somebody like an organization like yours, what you're building, what what you have put together, that's the only situation that will allow for this kind of chatbot. you know, like AI, like if we're integrating AI, you know, obviously there's a little bit more of a, like agency there that the chatbot can do its own. But if a strategic account is on the website, let's switch the chatbot over to a sales rep right away to have this conversation. They had to prove to sales that this was an actual channel to generate pipeline. They had to show that this was happening. Yep. Um, that was just kind of like, a, I guess, in the side there, but like, there's kind of like a you start simple and you kind of build up from there. hundred percent. I mean, our initial uh, chatbot I was working on was just a HubSpot bot, right? With a with a general point and click and all. And then if someone could take over really quickly, um, but as you know, uh, a few people at our, our company are definitely big AI nerds. I think actually our our chief of staff sent me easel. Um, as new tools come out, right? The faster you are to adopt those things and try things. You know, one of the one of the mantras I live by, and I told my team that this will be our mantra for the end of the year is build something every day. Doesn't matter if it stays built or it's completely done, but build something every day. I think the important thing is because I'm a, I'm a hands-on learner. I'm a hands-on experimenter. I want to test my stuff. If I can prove it works and there's a free trial where I can test it out for a while. I'm going to implement it. The next wave of technology that comes, I'll be able to iterate or, you know, I'll be able to say, all right, I actually tested this thing. I think to your point, 
sales in, in that situation also shout out full story great company um in that situation sales might respond like oh that that's not going to work right they haven't experienced it right so now if i can without cost without effort on the sales team if i can implement something and i can say hey this are, these are the results um and some of it's like social selling right like hey these are my results but if you guys help me, right, if you guys lean into this, we can really make this thing pump. You can get a lot of advocates inside your organization, but you, you got to constantly try stuff. But, you know, some of it works, some of it doesn't work, you know? This was great. I've got a couple of uh, rapid fire questions for you. Before we get into it, though, I'm just curious from a category creation perspective and what you're doing at Handle Global, is there anything that you want to get off your chest as far as what you're trying to accomplish, what you hope to see more marketers in your position doing? I mean, honestly, I think the biggest thing is just marketing through channels. A lot of people, it seems like they they get into this little silo. And even if people are semi-competitive, they don't, they don't want to touch or, you know, collaborate on things. And at the end of the day, like we might give up market share in a specific product feature set to partner with someone on something. But if we're both approaching a health system and it's a better outcome for the health system because this person has a little piece of this and we've got a little piece and this other guy has a little piece. We're still, our goal is still to connect everything, right? So I think people are too ultra competitive in the space. Of course, if you're a commodity and you have one offering, I get it. Like, you know, uh, you don't want to one-to-one compete and you can't, can't share there. But if you have a robust feature set, like we have eight different modules for us, if we have to give up two modules to collab with, you know, an equipment planning team at a health system, I don't care. That's fine. I'll give up that revenue. I'll partner with you. We'll approach this health system. We'll be partners and we'll build a good ecosystem. I think there, there's a place to be ultra competitive. Like if a one-to-one -one competitor ever uh, comes aboard, like I'm going to smash them for sure. But when there's, you know, this collaborative notion that we can give up pieces of revenue to make a better ecosystem, why not invest in that? I love that. There's got to be that teamwork involved, right? There has to be this shared understanding that we're building this market. We're building this category for the benefit of all of us. Let's collaborate. And now people are just choosing between the two of you. Who's got the better option? That's on you, right? But you gave each other the opportunity to get in front of this, uh, this prospect and um, building, building the category uh, you know, uh, as efficiently as possible. So that, that's an interesting thing. I, anything else you want to add to that? I think you're spot on. I actually, I saw a little bit of this between... Uh... It was a market catalyst and one of their one of their competitor companies, but they were commenting on each other's uh, webinars and uh, sharing useful information uh, across each other. So it was it was kind of like a competitive, uh, ultra intelligent jabs, um, but really interesting. <laughs> there there was there was some obvious cross promotion, um, but enjoyable. So I mean, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be there's contracts between the companies, right? But for them, uh, regardless of who's promoting something they're just educating on the market of customer engagement tools, right? Same thing here for us. We just want to educate the market that capital cycle management exists, like, you know, revenue cycle management existed, right? That's why we trademarked this phrase because we figured it would be the next, the next big thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we just want more people in the space talking about this. And if they eat up a little bit of our market share for feature set, that's fine. If it becomes a financial problem for us, We'll invest in, you know, another feature set if that's a partner we're not going to be able to displace or something along those lines. That's fine. Or we'll we'll just eat that eat that tam, right? If it's going to lead to, you know, longer term agreements with care providers and so on. It's a, a business decision, but yeah, super interesting. I, I love it. Um, okay, cool. Got a couple couple of final questions here for you. 
Who are your sources of inspiration? Who would you like uh, our listeners to know about? A few people that like I, I really focus on following. Um, obviously, Chris from Refined Labs is super smart. There's a, a woman from Gong. Her name is Sarah Brazier. She was actually one of the first SDRs that I saw posting a lot of like great content. It was kind of edgy, uh, but I, I learned a ton from it, right? I think just her writing style resonated with me really well. Um, I'm kind of brash as well. And she is the person that actually uh, introduced me to Aligned, which is, you know, one of our one of our favorite tools. Um, MJ Patient at Logically is huge. Mark from Catalyst, um, Taylor from Swag.com. And uh, the people in Gir Girls Club are super smart. And Pavilion as a whole is a great community where there are so many people that are way smarter than me and have done way more and are way more impressive that I can just pull from and I can ask, you know, executive of fortune 50 companies, Hey, you know, what is your, what's your, you know, uh, NDA look like, or what's this, Hey, I want to sell this thing. I need mm -hmm. a specific clause for my contract. Someone from, you know, Sendoso can say, Hey, this is our, our clause in our contract over here. And I can, you know, kind of rip and replace some of that stuff. So, um, super powerful there. Awesome. Thank you for taking me through that. Any upcoming events that you or Handle Global are going to be taking part in? Yeah. So we'll be at the IDN Summit in Phoenix at the end of August. And then one of our uh, premier partners, Visient, uh, they have a, uh, a conference for all of their members in September. I'll be at that in Vegas. Uh, from a marketing perspective, I think I'll be at the uh, Pavilion GTM Awards that are coming up. I think that's in Nashville. That'll be pretty exciting. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being willing to come on. Hopefully this isn't the last conversation. I'd love to learn about how the chatbot project comes comes to. Maybe that's like a, you know, that'll probably be a little bit, maybe a 2024 conversation, but hopefully this isn't the last conversation. But thanks for coming on, man. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.